Hey, 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 everybody. How are you all guys doing? Welcome to the Wimper Podcast, where we talk about all the goofy stuff related to space, astronomy, deep tech, AI, and a lot more to learn about which you won't find much in a conventional form of education. To another episode of the Wimper Podcast, we have Shonak Sir here from Physics for Students. He has a YouTube channel with over 10,000 subscribers where he teaches very, very interesting topics on the quantum and classical mechanics to students and they watch in hundreds and thousands uh, of views. So, yeah. Um, Mr. Shonak, welcome to the Wimba podcast. Uh, how do you, uh, like, how would you like to introduce yourself? First of all, a very good evening to everybody around the world who is watching this podcast. And first of all, I would like to thank Divyansh, uh, for inviting me to this podcast and my bad, my uh, I would bad. like to wish the Bimper podcast to grow up and up and up, uh, up till infinity. So uh, this is a really good time uh, because looking at Vyansh, a very young person, look at doing a great amount of job. I went through Bimpers for a few of the podcasts. The people that you are really connecting, it is all about connectivity and the type of work that you are doing I am really thankful. I am grateful that entire society should be thankful to the Vyansh and his efforts because you're really trying to bring science, mathematics and everything right up to uh, in front of the people so that they can enjoy, learn and enrich themselves. So a big thanks to Vimper and wishing you all the best, Vyansh, for your uh, journey. Well, uh, thank you. Yeah. welcome. So uh, to, to tell a little bit about me, nothing much. Uh, I am a physics enthusiast. It has been a dream from my childhood that I would be teaching uh, physics, uh, special into uh, Einstein's theory of relativity, which is one of my uh, you know special subjects. So uh, as per my work, it is concerned. I work with a very big international uh, brand where I mentor students in order to pave their path, in order to get jobs internationally, mentor them with uh, the do's and don'ts of interviews, etc. Apart from that, I uh, make uh, YouTube videos, especially in order to uh, make complex things sound simple. And the basic idea is that there are a lot of misconceptions about physics, mathematics, and it has been uh, created a romantic and a rosy picture. And I see that young students are getting diverted. So the basic idea of my channel is to give the right path, the right direction. I started this channel just with a piece of pen and a paper when I used to draw those calculus integrations on uh, on white uh, paper with a sketch pen and slowly drew up. So I really am thanked to my subscribers the way it has, grew, uh, it has, it has started to grow up because I never thought that I would, and now I really perceive myself to go more and more into YouTube and social media. Uh, I own a page called Hawking in Facebook, uh, which is dedicated to uh, Stephen William Hawking, who has been my mentor since my childhood in class 10, when I first read A Brief History of Time and was fascinated by his uh, mentality and how could he do those calculations all into his head. Apart from this, I play piano, and I am an official translator of Arabic and Urdu language. And I have translated few of the engineering documents from the Ministry of Water Resources, Iraq. And my continuous journey is to learn, learn and learn until we understand the truth. 
So you can see how vast the areas of interest that he has. It is going to be a very productive episode. So you, you don't click this off and you're not going to miss this out. But anyways, uh, a disclaimer, we are not going to be diving very deep into the mathematical concepts of it after I've understood the very basics and top layer of Einstein's field equations. Why? Because a lot of people are maybe not just going to understand a lot of parts of it. So we'll try to be as specific as possible towards the theories and the philosophies uh, that are related towards Einstein's field equations. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Moving on with the first question that I have on my script. Okay, so after learning the basics of Einstein's field equations, um, so I've understood that I have to, you know, sort of ask you to introduce the audience to what they are, even though they can find the answers to this question on Google, like what are, what are Einstein's field equations? Just uh, an introduction to them. Uh, so I would love to hear what yeah what you think and what uh, how can you explain it to us? Okay, so this is uh, something very uh, interesting, and I really want to thank you for this uh, very generic question, which leaves a lot of scope to talk about. Now, see, the thing is that first of all, we call it Einstein's field equations. It is a plural, but we see only one set of equation. So the thing is that what happens? These are a set of sixteen partial nonlinear differential equations which has been framed in one single equation. So originally when you see those r mu nu minus half g mu nu followed by a cosmological constant in this monstrous equation, so actually you're looking at 16 partial nonlinear differential equations. I understand I won't go too much into the technical details but I have explained these in many parts on my episode on the videos is that six of those equations are similar. I'm to say, for example, what about 1, 2, and 2, 1? They are similar. What about 1, 3, and 3, 1? They are similar. So what happens is that in this way, if you're aware about the indices and those tensor, okay, let, let me make it more simple. Certain part of the equations are duplicate. So we uh, remove those duplicate parts, and what we get are a set of 10 differential nonlinear equations, which the Einstein's field equations speak of. So what happens is that when we go deep into Einstein's field equations, we will see that there are six components of this equation, specifically the tensor indices, which are quite common. So in order to remove those six equations, 16 minus 6 becomes 10. So it is a set of 10 partial nonlinear differential equation. This is all in all why we say equations, although we look at equation that clears the doubt. So we are looking at 10 partial nonlinear differential equation. Now remember the Vyansh and Oswell, as well as to all the viewers, it took Einstein 10 years to develop those equations, which we are trying to talk in on one hour time. <laughs> you understand that. So it is highly complex and not only Einstein, it involves almost one of the world's topmost brains in order to develop this equation. So what is Einstein field equation? Uh, I, I won't go what internet says, what you can really find out as you really pointed out the right thing that we should not uh, do. In, but uh, in general, Einstein field equation is the pivotal force which rules the entire science of general theory of relativity. 
That means that we today know that gravity is not a fictitious force which was perceived by Isaac Newton or Galileo or Copernicus that when a body is falling, there is some kind of force which is pulling it down. We know it as a curvature of space-time. Now, uh, it is very easy to say that is a curvature of space-time, but when we sit down to uh, you know, uh, do those equations, we really lose our night sleep for night after night after night. So what really happens is that the Einstein field equation shows that the curvature of space-time actually is responsible for what is called the gravity. So uh, just to give you give a summarize what I'm telling, it is that this is a set of equations. Remember, it was not only Einstein, we might come up in the later part of our podcast. There are several people who were involved in developing these equations. Uh, I don't know whether the viewers are aware. The fact is that Einstein was not aware about tensor calculus. He was not aware about differential geometry. Right? It was he was skeptical. He was skeptical yes. about, about the expansion of the universe right. and Absolutely. whether it being Absolutely. static. Yeah. Absolutely. So this equation actually uh, has entirely changed our perception of looking into space and time, which is no longer space as different, time as different, but all locked together in what is called space-time. So uh, to summarize, it is a set of 10 nonlinear partial differential equations, which has changed our perception of looking into space and time. The left-hand side side of the equation actually tells that how we can measure the curvature of space-time and the right-hand side equation, the momentum stress energy tensor, tells that how matter is responsible for curvature of space-time. So obviously, the curvature and the matter, when they're equated towards each other, what comes is that as matter moves, there is a curvature in space-time, and this curvature is what we call gravity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you could just uh, explain us, how does general relativity and and uh, and uh, quantum mechanics idea of gravity differentiate from the one that uh, Newton and other people who okay. worked on classical mechanics explained? Okay, okay. This is a wonderful question. Thank you for this question. So see, what happened is that, now this is again almost, I would say, 50 years of history, which I have to somehow summarize in a few minutes' time. Anyway, so just to tell that, uh, see what happens that during during the time when Isaac Newton invented, uh, I, I won't say invented, but the concept of gravity was much earlier to uh, Newton. Newton actually formulated those in a set of equations, which was uh, Philosophiae Naturalis Principia Mathematica, which personally I uh, I should I, I should consider this is something which I keep it uh, on on my bed. I put it close to my heart because it is the one single book which changed our entire perception of mechanics, right? So uh, it is a kind of a book which I, I personally feel that we should have uh, on, our, on, our, on, our, on our library personally. So when Philosophy Naturalist Principia Mathematica I was entirely revolutionized, we came to know that gravity, we formulated F equals to G, M1, M2 uh, upon R squared, inverse square, square now all these things started up. So what happened is that, you remember uh, Dibyanj, uh, I, I don't know, this is something interesting I would like to point out that Isaac Newton was very skeptical in publishing these thoughts. Yes. Why? Yeah. 
because during that time, uh, if you remember, Galileo was uh, actually taken as a prisoner within his house, right? And mm -hmm. the church was allowed, uh, told him that you should not further write because it is considered to be blasphemy dust this yes. time. And when Galileo went to him, he was bound to say by the priest, by the church, that you have to accept that the sun moves and the earth is stationary. He made a famous Italian comment, Epirsi movie. It means still it moves. They looked up and he said, Epirsi movie. That means it still moves. So that was, you know, if you read Einstein's book, I was reading, there's a wonderful book called Richard Westfall's Never at Rest. It's a big, it's a fat book of a thousand pages, which speaks mostly, mostly of Newton's. Newton was very skeptical because he believed in alchemy and he thought that, okay, if I bring out those uh, principles of science, then I would also be punished. So what happened one day, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, Haley, uh, uh, whom we know as Haley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Haley went there and he told that, come on, uh, guy, what, what the hell are you doing? So he told that, see, these are my uh, physics laws, etc. He told that, come on, let us publish it. No, 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 I won't be able to publish it. So that he was keeping it very close to his heart. So I was, so uh, what happened, Arthur Haley, who uh, actually published it and slowly it came to the press and it eventually, he took his own money to, for the first time to publish it. So the world came to know about the fictitious force, which nobody can explain prior to Newton, is some kind of a force which is well defined in the uh, laws of mechanics. Post Newton, what we see is that the entire physics and even today uh, all revolved around the formula of mechanics. With the advent of Albert Einstein, I mean to say, Einstein, you remember that was uh, a famous quotation, which uh, I, I, it was something, the you know, extraordinary. Now, you know, he was sitting at the uh, patent office at Bern around 1902, and he didn't got any job. So Albert Einstein was uh, telling that uh, that cloistered place on earth, which hatched those beautiful thoughts. So if you see uh, in Switzerland, it is just a small table, right? Just a small table, a small chair. Einstein was sitting there. And it's very, the it's very, what you say is very similar to the idea in philosophy that is chaos brings order, something like that. Absolutely. Um, you are very right. Actually, chaos brings order. So he told that that worldly cluster where I hatched my most beautiful ideas. So 1902, around June, he received the letter that, okay, I've got a kind of an appointment. And 1906, he was promoted as a technical expert. So what he was doing, I was reading a wonderful blog, eight hours of uh, study, uh, I mean, it was eight hours of work, eight hours of study, uh, scientific study, and eight hours of sleep. So this actually happened. So you un understand in that small cloistered place when there is one small room and, uh, uh, you know, a small desk and a chair, and all the people were coming, he hatched the most beautiful thoughts. What was that? So Einstein was thinking that if I'm sitting on a piece of, on, on a chair, and suddenly the ground moves away. Suddenly. Now, you might say the what kind of crazy idea it was, but it requires craziness to be a genius, right? So suddenly the, 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 the entire, uh, the, the, entire uh, uh, the floor would move away and he was falling. So he had, he perceived that if I am falling right at this moment, so I would not feel any gravity, right? I would not feel the pressure that my stomach is going up or something odd is happening. Same thing will happen if a person 
is falling from space. Remember, we are talking of the time when he has already framed his special theory of relativity and there was an attempt to do a relativistic uh, formulations of Maxwell's equation with Einstein. So suddenly he thought that what would happen if I suddenly start falling? So immediately the thought that came into Einstein's mind is that so if if I could not feel anything, if, if I could not feel that I'm falling down, that means there should not be any force. And if there is no force, then there is no point of uh, terming as a gravity. And why mm. we should talk it as gravity. Mm. Now, you see um, that this is... Yeah, yeah you continue. Yeah. Now, this is actually what you were telling, right, that uh, chaos being, brings order. And I, you know, I will come to that power just to point that, you know, today we talk that how when we are studying mathematics, we should have an AC room, nobody would be talking, I should have a laptop, I should have a pen and a paper, and think about that person. 1902, in a cloistered place, where there was just table and chair, he could hatch one of the greatest ideas which revolutionized science. That means what? The message to, uh, to us is that you really don't need anything in order to do a scientific thought. All you need is a kind of a thinking. So it was during that time that I will come to another very interesting story of Carl Schwarzschild. I think the viewers, it would be a wonderful point to talk about. So when he thought that there is nothing called gravity, then why we should coin the term as gravity? Hmm. Number one. Second thing is that it was called Gedanken, G-E-D-A-N-K-E-N. In German, it means thought experiment. Okay. So he was thinking that if I'm moving up the elevator, if the elevator is going up, and if I shine a, a, a photon or a, or a beam of light, mm -hmm. then when the elevator suddenly goes up, the beam of light, instead of going straight, obviously it would curve down. It is going up, 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 and as the elevator goes down, the light bends. The light bends. Now, why it is pending? Because the corpuscular theory of Newton's light says that light travels in straight line. Light travels in an absolute straight line. Then why when we are moving up the elevator, remember that Einstein perceived all in his thought. So there, there was this is, a, this is an imaginative perception of it. Like, is this actually happening in practicality? Like, does yes, light actually seem to be? Absolutely, yes. So later when we, uh, you will see if you watch my videos, I've demonstrated that if the lift is going up in this direction, the light, instead of going in a straight direction, will start moving in this direction. And I, I will say, I will tell you the best thing to perceive for general people, because we cannot shine a light when you're going down a horn's elevator. The best thing is that, you know, when you stand in front of the ocean, Either you go to Philippines or any 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 seashore, you will see right at the horizon when you are standing straight, the waves are coming. You will see that the ocean and the sea somehow seems to meet at the horizon. Right. Okay. You will see that yeah, when you yeah. stand in the seashore, right. So that shows that the, the the ocean surface is something like this, something like this. So that was a fiery moment, I would say one of the greatest moment that a person could live. And he understood that that means what we can tell is that there is nothing which is called gravity. Now, this is again, Vivian, this is a very misconception. Most of my students have told, sir, that means there is no gravity. No. This, is, this, this is something wrong. I mean, it's nothing he, that it he's is. 
mean, you're saying that basically the idea of gravity in classical mechanics is completely different and that's why we need to interpret it in Absolutely. a different way. Yeah. Absolutely. Gravity in its classical phase is still there. Newton's laws of mechanics are still working. And even when we are spending, you know, um, you know, ascending space shuttle, etc., up to a level, you see the rocket goes up and then it bends down. All these are Newtonian mechanics. But up to the way when Einstein thought that if there is nothing which is called a force, then why we should call it as a gravity? Now, that was basically the moment when Einstein thought of, to, you know, uh, of what I would say, generalizing special theory of relativity, which was quite good, but which was applicable on the non-accelerated frames of reference. That means in a non-accelerated frame of reference, special theory of relativity was working absolutely fine. But what if the frames of reference are accelerated? What if there is an arbitrary movement? So that is what this answers your question, that that actually started Einstein to remove the equations of special theory of relativity from a non-inertial uh, frame of uh, 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 um, frame of reference to an inertial frame or an accelerated frames of reference mm. when things are started to move. So that is basically the moment when Einstein thought of improving. I won't say it is wrong. Again, this is something I recently talked about in one of my videos that can we tell a scientific theory wrong? No, please. We cannot tell something as wrong. Mm. It is all fine uh, up to that frames of reference, right? Mm -hmm. So Einstein's in and generalize the special theory of relativity's equation so that it becomes applicable to accelerated frames of reference and that gave birth to Einstein's field equations. Right. And and you mentioned Schwarzschild's uh, equations and the theory behind the theory. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. That, that, yeah. So actually that, that actually calls for a wonderful, you know, inspirational story. So if you just allow me, I will just like to speak for a few minutes. Yeah, sure, sure. So what happened, it was during 1915 when Albert Einstein has already published his general theory of relativity. Uh, Arthur Eddington on 29th of May had tested that the sun rays uh, during the eclipse bends and everything was fine. But remember that we are unable to find out what is called an exact solution of Einstein's field equation. I mean, coming to what do I mean by exact solution, I need to explain on that. Now, during this time, if you if you remember history, that First World War was already on. And Germany, in order to uh, acquire more and more, I would say, uh, soldiers, they were even taking people who are 40 years plus. And mm -hmm. Karl Schwarzschild was around 40, 41 years during that time. Uh, in general, the rule is that you cannot accept somebody who has passed 30. You cannot join in in the army. But during that time, it was. So Karl Schwarzschild was actually appointed in order to calculate the movement of the ballistic cannons, where it will fly and where it will hang. Mm. And he was actually in a trench. In a trench and health-wise, he was... So, was this, was, so, so you're saying, was this a time before or after Newton? No, no, it is after, obviously, it is 1915 we are talking about. Oh, uh, much yeah, yeah, after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah got, absolutely. It, got, it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So he, because of his ill health, etc., the commander of the army told, okay, okay, you are good in calculations uh, because he was a professor of astronomy during that time. So you do the calculations. So what happened during that time, sitting inside a trench when there is a full-fledged war going on with just a piece of pen and a paper, 
uh, what today we require almost like a supercomputer or a mainframe computer with MATLAB and everything to solve mm. Einstein's equation. He started uh, writing down those equations and sent a letter to Albert Einstein. So around 23rd or 25th of 24th of December, Einstein suddenly received the letter. And the letter was blood-stained. It was all full of mud, etc. And he opened that letter and he was surprised. What is that letter telling? That letter told that, yes, my dear Dr. Albert Einstein, I have found the first exact solution of your equation. Einstein was totally puzzled. Now, he himself was the inventor of general theory of relativity, yet he could not find out the uh, uh, solution of Einstein's field equation. Mm. A person lying in the trench when the war is going on, no electricity, nothing, he was working with candles, how he can find out my exact solutions. So, you know, I, I don't remember that line. It was uh, Schwarzschild was telling that uh, your equations has given me the pleasure to walk down the beautiful meadows and paths of uh, tensors, equations, etc. And in this time when I am in the trench, when the war is going on, I'm finding a lot of pleasure, a lot of happiness in solving these equations. Just let us think that today we need computer, today we need an AC room, today we need uh, soundproof rooms in order to do mathematics. But think of Carl Schwarzschild, who did all those superhuman ability lying under the trench when the war was going on. Anyway, mm. Einstein, uh, when he read that letter, promised uh, Carl Schwarzschild, writing back, that I will be publishing that in the uh, upcoming Prussian Academy of Sciences, uh, about your letter, and I am very happy to get that. And eventually, Schwarzschild died around 40 to 43 years old, and uh, Einstein published that. And I would like to bring attention to the viewers that that was the first equation, that was the first general solution which gave birth to the concept of black holes. Mm -hmm. So what Schwarzschild did is that Schwarzschild actually found out an equation that given a certain gravitational, intense gravitational force, all the laws of physics are going to break down, all the laws of physics are going to fail, and the entire uh, the point where the entire universe will be condensed at an infinite single small point when the physics laws were, will break, and that is what is called now a Schwarzschild radius. That means beyond that radius, if you move, you will fall inside the black hole, and there is no point of escaping. Mm -hmm. So, Schwarzschild radius is um, like what the event horizon of a black hole? No, actually, I will tell you, Schwarzschild radius, first of all, is a kind of a conceptual framework. It actually doesn't exist in general. Schwarzschild radius is something, say, for example, if I take my telephone, if I take this mobile, right? If I squeeze this mobile, I'm squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and further, and I have to squeeze that, as low as I can up to a critical radius. I repeat, mm. it is a critical radius. That means a radius beyond which I cannot further squeeze it down. So I'm squeezing it to a small radius. And if I squeeze this mobile to a certain radius, this mobile will turn into a black hole. Okay. So that means, for example, I am here five feet, six inches high. If you can squeeze me, up to a size of one femtometer, one femtometer, which is 
extremely small. If 10 to the power minus 18 meters. Yes, absolutely, yeah. you're right. Okay. And if we can squeeze the sun, hmm. our our sun, up to the size of, say, one peanut, hmm. then the entire sun or eye will turn into a black hole. And that was actually the first solution, exact solution, which hmm. called Schwarzschild this, and that is called Schwarzschild radius. Hmm. It is denoted by R sub S, which tells that any matter which is squeezed up to that radius will turn into a black hole. So, so how does like you're saying, um, if if any object of any sort of mass gets, uh, like you're saying that there's a particular threshold of density that you need to reach yes. in order to become right. a black hole, right? Right. And irrespective of what mass you have, irrespective of whatever it is. So, is that also related to the idea that in quantum mechanics, like in classical mechanics, mass is generally considered to be constant, but in quantum mechanics, that is not the case. Especially when the Absolutely. objects are moving too fast. Uh, yes, yeah. actually, what happens in case of quantum mechanics, the problem is that see, th this is this is again a realm of thought. See, mm -hmm. when we are talking of classical mechanics, remember that Einstein's general theory and special theory of relativity is also classical mechanics. We need to first understand the branch that what is meant by classical mechanics. Is it Galileo, Copernicus, Newton, Einstein? What what do we mean by classical mechanics? So the thing is that classical mechanics or anything which we tell is following classical mechanics, it means that the world is deterministic. I repeat, the entire calculations are deterministic. That means if I throw so a ball, reason, so there's a yeah. reason why things happen. Is that what it is? Yes. So, so, so what happens is that in terms of classical mechanics, there is a determinism. There is a point of determinism and this point of determinism is not only that the ball will land up there, it will again rebound and come back to me. That means if I, if I, if I, if I, if I go back to these equations, I can predict a kind of a future, mathematically. That means if the cup is falling down, if I draw back those molecules, it will again form a cup, mm. theoretically, right? So classical mechanics is something which is very much deterministic in nature. Now, what you're talking is about quantum mechanics. In quantum mechanics, everything is probabilistic. Mm -hmm. The electron might be there, might not be there. There's a probability that the electron will be 30% in Vivian's house and 70% in my house. Mm -hmm. So what is happening is that because of the uh, probabilistic nature, the non-deterministic nature, the probability whether it can be here, it can be can can cannot be here. We actually cannot incorporate gravity with quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. So that is what the string theory, the quantum field theory, all we are trying to do right now is how we can incorporate gravity with quantum mechanics. Because gravity is the only force in standard model of particle physics which cannot fit with the standard model. Electromagnetism is done, strong force is done, weak force is done, gauge bosons are there, X bosons are there, but it is only gravity which cannot fit with the standard model. So that is the reason whatever we are discussing today are all in a classical realm which cannot fit with the quantum realm. Hmm. But you're saying that in classical realm, usually uh, things are deterministic. So uh, how did like... Einstein, um, not Einstein, but scientists like Feynman uh, recognize that there is a possibility to actually calculate the motions of 
the future of what an electron will be doing uh, inside an atom, yeah. which is basically in the quantum realm. So how did he or people like uh, Feynman do, okay. do that? Okay, this is a very good question. Um, uh, let me explain you this way. What Feynman and the people of quantum mechanics calculated, all the calculations are based on a certain pr certain probability. Now see, what happens is that Feynman actually invented what is called the path integral formalism. That means if, I, if a particle is around here and if I trace back the particle, that it will be around here. It might be. Remember that in quantum mechanics, you cannot tell that the particle will be. You have to use the word might be, right? Mm. So from here, the particle might move into this place. But Feynman told that it, uh, what would you say? It will go either here or in this way or in this way, whatever. But Feynman told that the particle will move in all possible paths. This way, this way, that way, this way, that way, this way. So that is called a Feynman path integral formalism for which he was awarded Nobel Prize in Physics. So whatever you are talking about the electron's path, about the subatomic particle's path, remember these are all nothing but probability of calculation. Because Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which is the core of quantum mechanics, tells that you cannot find the position and momentum simultaneously at the same place. Right. So what we are discussing or what you are asking about quantum mechanics, about the electrons, how do they behave, these, remember, are all probabilities. These are all probabilities. These are all probability density, which tells that it might be, there might be a chance that the electron might land up here or it might be here. But classical physics tells that the particle will be there in another 2.5 minutes time. So there is a fundamental difference and that difference has not led the mathematicians learn or till now in 2023 when we are talking, we cannot find graviton, the, uh, the hypothetical particle. We cannot equate the equations of relativity with quantum mechanics. So quantum mechanics, remember, has only been, uh, I would say, married, married happily only the special theory of relativity that is called quantum electrodynamics, which was done by Paul Dirac. Paul Dirac only, uh, you know, used the quantum formulations with special theory of relativity, and that is called QED. There are two things, quantum electrodynamics and chromodynamics. So QED, uh, founded by Paul Dirac, actually, uh, where we assimilated the equations of special theory of relativity with quantum mechanics. But general theory of relativity still remains unmarried bachelor living happily it, it is getting so intense i know most of the viewers i mean a few of them might be listening but some of them are at least the majority of them might have left by thinking that oh my god what is happening it's just getting too complex but i mean i'm having fun personally so uh let be uh okay so uh Another thing that considering that Einstein's field equations are really complex and as I said, we are not going to delve into the mathematical concepts of it. I would really like to know what was the thinking behind, like what what was the thinking behind the creation of these equations? Like um, if, okay. you, if you're, yeah, if you're able to explain that. Okay. Yeah. That is also an intense question, Divyansh. I don't know how the viewers would be enjoying, but I have a lot to tell because I have been specializing on this up. So see, what happened is that as from special theory of relativity and on that burn office when Einstein understood that there is nothing which is 
can be termed as a gravity, he immediately went back to his equation and started to find something which will give a kind of a covariant theory of gravity. I will like to mention within quotes, what do we mean by covariant theory? There is one thing which is called a contravariant and a covariant. So covariant means something, for example, uh, I might say that uh, if it is raining, then it should be cloudy. For example, that means rain and cloud are covariant with each other. Okay. I see. Or I might say that if it is uh, if, if it is sunny, it should not rain. That means sun and uh, rain doesn't go with each other. And another is called contravariant, which is totally opposite. I am not going into that. So Einstein thought that I need to find out what is called a covariant theory of gravity. That means the gravity of the equation which goes hand in hand. Now, why I will go on deeper to make you understand. Now, say, for example, I am throwing a piece of ball, mm -hmm. right? It is my frame of reference, X and Y. I'm not taking three dimension because, again, it will be too complicated. X axis and Y axis, right? X mm -hmm. and Y axis. I'm throwing a ball. Fine. So, as for the Lagrangian and Newton formalism, we can do the calculations. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens that the same I, the same me, I'm throwing the ball, and you, Divyansh, you come and you rotate the frame of reference. You just rotate it, uh -huh. right? So if the throwing of the ball will be the same, it will be the same, but as the trajectory of reference, yeah, the trajectory is going to change. Now, what will happen if you stretch the frame of reference? That means I am in X, Y axis, and suddenly you stretch it, and still I throw. Now, what happened is that Einstein actually thought that if the frames of reference are arbitrary, because remember, special theory of relativity is all about the inertial frame of reference, not a non-inertial frame of reference. So what if, 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 the, if the entire space-time is curved, it has got a dent, it has got a higher curvature, it is... Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Mathematicians, we need to measure the laws of physics. Still, the ball will fall still the cannonball will fly, still the trajectory. I need to say, we need to calculate the laws of physics in a proper way. So that was a very big problem. Because if the frames of reference are stretched, they're squeezed, they're turned, the laws of physics are not uh, according to the laws of science. So that is what, which is called the covariant theory of gravity. That means whatever is going to happen. You remember Einstein told that whatever the laws of physics are happening, in all frames of reference, it is should be the same. Now, based on the same principle, you see, in special theory of relativity, it told that the speed of light is constant. Mm -hmm. The speed of light is constant. I mean, to say in vacuum, obviously, we know that speed of light changes when it goes into media, like water or otherwise. So, the speed of light is constant. So, if the speed of light is constant, that means this frame of reference or this frame of reference, I would see the same thing. Mm -hmm. That was in special... But in general relativity, everything was turned upside down because the space, time, owner curved, it is not same. So what would happen if these frames of reference are changed? So as soon as the frames of reference are changed, you were asking me what actually did. So that actually helped Einstein to think that with what I can do, how can I frame the physics law so that uh, even if the frames of reference are changed, even there is a curvature, even there is a low and high, but still the laws of physics are same. Uh -huh. Now, it was, yeah, it was during that time that Einstein 
the genius Dr. Albert Einstein was feeling helpless. Why helpless? I will tell you. Because all those curvatures on the curved space and the curvature and those, actually, Einstein was not aware about differential geometry. I think we need to go back uh, some time. Uh, then we will explore more about how differential geometry and relativity is related. But it was one specific person. I call him the grand granddaddy of mathematics, that is Bernhard Riemann. Right. Mm. I also keep the photograph of Bernhard Riemann in my mobile. So I don't have the mobile right now. If I show you my wallpaper, is that of Bernhard Riemann. So it was uh, back in 1849 that Bernhard Riemann first proposed the concept of what is called a manifold. Manifold means structure. For example, my hand. For example, this one. This is the manifold. You see there is a lot of curves, bends, everything yeah. is not thing, right? Mm. So this is a manifold. So Einstein was not aware about this type of mathematics because if the space is curved like my hand, mm. right, then how can I measure this one or this one or this one? So during that time, you remember Marcel Grossman was dating the same lady which Albert Einstein later married. He's <laughs> in so Marcel Grossman uh, and then his friend uh, Michel Bessot they, are, they were all, you know, good friends in the, poly, the Zurich Polytechnic. So I remember that slide that Einstein went to Grossman and told that, Grossman, Grossman, save me or else I will go crazy. Mm -hmm. That means that I'm able to frame those tensors and differential geometry and please do help me out. So it was during that time that Marcel Grossman, along with Michel Besso, on the Italian front, it was Tullio Levi Civita, it was uh, Bernhard Riemann, it was Gregorio Ricci Curvastro, all of them already have framed differential geometry on their own part. I mean to say, differential geometry, remember Vyach, it has nothing to do with relativity. Absolutely not. Differential geometry is a subject of mathematics, which is independently developed by various people, right? If you go to my video on differential geometry history, you will understand. I've made a 45 minutes video on how differential geometry evolved. Anyway, so that was there. But essentially here in Germany, in Switzerland, there was a connection between that, those people. And ultimately, Marcel Grossman, if you see, I have shown the marks of Marcel Grossman on the paper. Uh, it is a kind of a uh, archive from the Jewish library. I have shown in my video that uh, Einstein has written and Marcel Grossman has corrected and put around and said, no, 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 this is not right. This should be the proper, proper, uh, proper way of mathematics. So mm -hmm. that was the thinking which actually, with the help of Grossman, with the help of Michel Besco and few other people, that for the first time, Einstein came to know what is called tensor. Mm. So uh, remember that. The yeah, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you explaining tensors? No, I'm not explaining tensors. Okay. That the viewers will. Uh, possibly fly away or they would uh, not enjoy this show. So uh, we will put it again in the next episode if somebody is willing. So tensors yeah. are actually uh, not being known by Einstein and it was Grossman and other people who helped to frame the uh, mathematics of Einstein's field equations. So the thinking, what was the thinking? Thinking was to frame a kind of a mathematical law, a model of mathematics where in spite of the change of references, the things being stretched or squeezed or uh, rotated, whatever, things will be same. That means, for example, if this is my frame of reference, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So 
measurement will be always the same. If I do it this, if I do it that, if I stretch it, if I squeeze it. That means the basis of the vector, I, again, I'm sorry to use this technical term, the main alignment of the measurement, the vector, would be the same, right? Would be the same. But whatever happens to the frame of reference, it should not matter. That is the combination. That is what is called the covariance theory. And you see general theory of relativity with the first postulate. It is a fully covariant theory of gravity where whatever happens, whatever happens, laws of physics will be the same. Uh -huh. and, and in the beginning of your explanation, you mentioned that uh, that uh, like you didn't go into uh, the three dimensions, but uh, you you explained it two dimensions. And uh, when I was uh, reading about and watching videos on uh, Einstein's field equations, I got to know that uh, when they're solving the matrices part of the tensors in the equations, they usually uh, like they use uh, four dimensions in general. Like yes, um, yeah, right. Yeah. So, right. Uh, so. They're basically numbered like 0, 1, 2, 3. So uh, 0 is time, right, one, is, one, 1 is length, 2 is base, and 3 is height. Right, so, my yeah. so my question to you is that we are, as you know, as kids and uh, people in schools and usually in general in the beginning are, are told that um, the, f the basics and the starting uh, considered dimensions that we need to learn are the later three, three dimensions that we are usually familiar with that uh, usually like to blend with classical mechanics in general. So why did uh, the people who uh, developed these equations mention uh, time as the first dimension in the zero, in the zero part? Uh, yeah, what was the reason yeah, behind that's it? A good question. Yeah, mm -hmm. so actually what happened is that if you see the classical mechanics era, time and space was something totally different. The axis, if you measure the coordinate, I would say the Cartesian axis, so either you measure the distance in x-axis and the time in y-axis. Hmm. Okay. Now what happened is that when the special theory of relativity came in, Einstein found that if we consider these equations taking time as a separate axis or as a separate dimension, the complications will be more. Because remember when we are moving from special theory of relativity to general theory of relativity, there is a huge, huge huge amount of complex mathematics which comes in. Tensor calculus, differential geometry, curvatures, remark. I will say it's a huge, it's a huge. Mm -hmm. So what happened is that special theory of relativity when it arrived, Einstein thought that if I take time as a separate dimension and mm -hmm. put space separate, then the formulations of Maxwell's equation, which is the main part when Einstein synthesized with his uh, equations, will create a lot of problems. So now, now the question is that why? Now see, for example, right now it is around whatever the time is, 6.57. I'm sitting straight. I'm not moving. So what would the Newtonian mechanics will tell? That I am static, right? That's I am sitting still. The relativity will tell that even if you are static, you are moving. Why? Because the time is ticking on the other axis, uh -huh. Uh -huh. right? Now, if I start moving in this direction, then my movement is also there, time is also there. Mm. So you see that already we have got two dimensions. Mm. Now I start moving up and down and I take other dimensions. So it becomes more and more and more complex. Mm. That was the strike of a super genius, which requires a super genius like Einstein. He thought that, okay, let me put it all together. 
Mm. Let me lump it together into space-time, mm. right? So what happened is that time is just a coordinate now. It's just a coordinate. That, and you will see that I have explained in uh, my uh, videos in black holes that people say that time stops near black hole. No, absolutely wrong. Time never stops here. Time clicks on, uh, goes on ticking. But what happens is that if we take space and time as a coordinate, and if I stretch the time, say for example this one, and I stretched it further. So what mm. will it happen? So if it will take a longer time to reach your home. It will be curved, right? Instead of going straight. So, you, going so in, you're saying that it will take a longer time for time to reach one point from the other than it will. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So in black hole, what happens is that the time coordinate is stretched. So it takes more time to reach I see, I see. rather than a straight line, right? Mm -hmm. So that was basically what Einstein did is that instead of taking time and space different, let us lump it together. So what is the benefit? Benefit is that once you put things together, equations are much simpler, number right. one. And you will see in general, yeah, in general theory of relativity, because time is a coordinate, so you can do any mathematics with time. You can stretch it, you can bend it, you can squeeze it. It won't take much more difficulty. But if you take time as a separate dimension, a separate set of equations, then how you're going to, I would say, coordinate the other equations with time. So it was all taken in one lump and we now call it a space-time. Mm. So even if I'm stating straight right now, mm. right, my space-time is one. Mm. My space says that I'm not moving, but the time goes on taking one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm. So the entire concept of space and time is now one, only one identity space-time. So if you see the Einstein's field equations, the first one are mu nu. So mu nu is basically space-time. So mm -hmm. zero length, one breadth, uh, two height, and number four is time. So we don't have to solve further equations, which we used to do with Newtonian mechanics with time. But whatever the equations are now, it is applicable both to space as well as to time. Mm -hmm. I see, I see, I see, I see what you're saying. Cool. Uh, so moving on to the next question. Um, so, uh, I think, okay, we already discussed this one. Uh, so, when scientists or maybe you might have worked uh, on Einstein's field equations uh, previously, so, so how do you think they've faced and overcame over the biggest of challenges that uh, they had during the making of these equations? Uh, to, be see, uh, to be honest with you, once we received those equations, it revolutionized the entire way we look into structured space-time. As I told you, that famous inspirational story of Carl Schwarzschild. Schwarzschild was the first to design the first, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, first uh, solution to Einstein field equation. Then it was James Kerr, which is called Kerr-Newman matrix. It was further framed. Then it was Einstein, Lemar, and Lapp, other equations. So the problem, you know, is that due to its complexity, due to its complexity, you cannot just sit down with a pen and paper and solve the equations. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of initial conditions, etc., which are required. So the problem is that when we say, for example, uh, for example, uh, you are sitting on a chair right now. Okay, so obviously you have got a mass, right? And if you're sitting on a chair and the chair is on the floor, that means there is a pressure. 
and the pressure will create a kind of a curvature. Like if I say, for example, that I will sit down right now and I will uh, I will use Einstein's field equation to calculate how much curvature your chair causes on the on the on on the what you call on the floor. I won't mm. be able to do that. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to do that. Yeah, the reason is that I I will tell you the basic reason. There's a specific reason which most of the students or most of the people there don't, don't understand. This would lead mm. lead us to the next uh, question that why Einstein's field equations have got certain problems. Now, see, if I take for example uh, a kind of an element which we called uh, which is which is which is considered to be one of the densest uh, elements uh, that uh, is called osmium. Osmium. Okay. This osmium is because it is the densest metal which we found, and it is, I think it is around 22.6 multiplied 10 to the power some six kilograms per cubed meter. I, I mean to say it is roughly, you can say three times that of an iron, mm -hmm. right? Now, uh, so it is a very dense, right? And you remember that I talked that if you can squeeze matter up to a critical level, it will turn into a black hole, right? We can mm -hmm. talk about a lot black holes maybe in the next episode. So I take a, a kind of an osmium, right, which is the densest metal loan naturally, and mm -hmm. I multiply it by C squared, that is the speed of light, right? And what I still get, that means what I, why I'm doing a multiplication of C squared, because I want to calculate the rest energy. I want mm -hmm. to calculate the rest energy of such a dense material, what it would make up. Mm -hmm. Still, it would give around 2, point, uh, 2 into 10 to the power, something joules, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this density actually produces some kind of a 10 to the power minus 22 inverse meter squared. Now, to the viewers, I am making things very simple. Now, why you know, I am telling is that I am taking the densest material available on Earth. I am making it travel as close as to the speed of light as close as to the speed of light, but still I'm getting an energy density which is 10 to the power minus 22. Mm. Now that means that when we say that gravity is a weak force, you must have heard that gravity is a weak force, electromagnetism, these are uh, strong forces. What do we mean by weak force? Is it that if I pull, it will not come? It is a weak force? No. Mm. It means that it requires a huge, huge amount of energy density to measure a small curvature. So even if I take the densest material, multiply it by C square and find out its rest energy, I get such a fractional curvature that Einstein field equations won't be able to measure that. And in order to do that, what we do is that we see, we go to much massive scales like uh -huh. Jupiter, like Sun. So you're you saying that Finally, that we found out that density is actually not in correlation with the with the gravitational pull of any object. No, and no, I am saying that if we take the densest material and if we try to find out the energy density, which is the first component of the stress energy momentum density, that means in easy language I can say that I need to measure that if I put this AC remote on my hand, how much curvature this AC remote is going to bring. I want to measure that. AC remote is too light. I am taking one of the densest material on Earth. I am mm. making it move at speed of light. Even that, the rest energy density that we get is so, so minute that Einstein field equations cannot measure it. So when we say that gravity is a weak force, technically we mean to say that the gravity, the general element on Earth 
requires lot of high energy density to give a curvature which Einstein's field equation will measure. And those things are not found on Earth and that is why Einstein's field equations are applicable in astronomy, astrophysics, black holes, Jupiter, Mercury's perihelion, Sun, Earth, etc. So the limitation, I'm not limitation, but the application of Einstein's field equations are basically on a much more larger scale. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. we won't be able to measure that, simple. There is a part in the equation, like uh, if I am able to show the viewers. Okay. So I took a few notes that I also sent to Seanak sir the other day. Yes, that was good. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah absolutely. So if, you, if you're able to see this one. Yes. Right. Okay, yeah. This one and this one over here yeah. in the middle. Uh so right. uh, this so this one this one tells actually uh how much uh massive uh, does does an object need to be in order right. to spend the fabric of space time, right? So yeah, if you could answer and answer that question, what did uh, we found find out? Like how much does it actually have to be? Okay, actually, the left hand side of the equation, as I was telling that the R mu nu etc. measures the curvature and the right hand side actually measures the stress energy moment of tensor as you rightly pointed out that how much mass should be present. So that means uh, the normal terrestrial objects, the normal a book, maybe an elephant, maybe a uh, 10,000 elephant etc. are not sufficient to measure the curvature of space-time. So the minimum thing that we need to do is to start measuring the mass or the energy density or the movement of sun, our sun. So we're trying to give an idea to the viewers that how massive the scales of measurement are. Quantum mechanics, which measures at the minimal, 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 minimal level, I mean to say very minute, and that goes beyond, beyond, beyond our Earth. And I remember Immanuel Kant, famous philosophical quotation, that two things, uh, I don't remember the exact quotation, it, say, it says that two things always keep me inspired. I always feel uh, strange. That is the, the 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 stars on the sky, or the huge expanse that has got, and the moral law within the moral law within me. Can we coincide the huge uh, unknown, infinite unknown, with the moral law within? Anyway, that is a philosophical discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I'm trying to tell is that we should not compare Einstein's field equations with anything related to our Earth because we are going to fail miserably. So Einstein's field equations, you can say when it comes to use, practically, if you talk of practical applications, for example, uh, what Arthur Eddington did, perihelion's uh, precision of Mercury, that was the planet Mercury when it is going down, how much it bends. Okay, gravitational waves, how uh, gravitational waves are generated. Yes, Einstein field equations come. When we send a spaceship outside the Earth's escape velocity, the precision measurement that is done by Einstein field equations. You might have heard about neutron star, neutron star, very evident. So how the neutron stars are formed or what is the energy density, the measurements of those. Very importantly, black holes, those are there. Milky Way, so anything which is beyond our perception, the Bianch, only mm -hmm. there Einstein field equations. But then as you, as you mentioned the sun, that means uh, we can say that because you're saying that if we have to scale scale it to the measures of the size of the sun, that means we can say that anything, at least, I mean, 
in the practicality we can say that anything that has the mass of the sun yeah yeah so that means 3 million earths in particular yes 3 million earths yeah absolutely so, the mass of this so, right. so do so do, do we so do we calculate it for smaller i mean considering that uh there are smaller objects definitely uh, in the celest in the celestial bodies yes, so considering yes. that so yes. considering that do we yeah, you use it this way that because we are taking the rel- relativistic mass of the sun we can say that uh, one third the mass of the sun and uh, then then this object yes. can and so yeah, that's the yeah very good question yeah if it is taken in that way if you make a one third mass of the sun then my i mean i'm just the, saying the reference not not reference, yeah. yeah yeah but 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 do you see that uh, well, well, that that is that is that is the prop that is the thing that whatever we see divyansh around us i mean to say even i i won't name i won't name that person very famous scientist from isro uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about application exactly the question that you asked that sir what is the application of einstein's speed equation so he mm-hmm. told me shonak be very honest with you whatever we see around i mean to say mechanics trucks engineering even the uh, the sailing of the shores of the oceans the liners everything i mean to say whatever you can perceive in general even sending a space ship or a rocket out of the escape velocity of earth there is only one person who rules that is sir isaac newton so what i'm trying to say is that everything that we see from mechanics to our daily life applications everything that we see is all followed by newton's laws of mechanics einstein's field equations are extreme that you see when you read uh, internet you will see extreme conditions extreme means what extreme that is a very big that means now if you if i say that today tomorrow morning are you going to calculate the uh, mass of the black hole or how the sun the sun would travel no in our daily applications we don't find einstein and we also don't find relativity now question is that why we don't find relativity the reason is that relativity is only concerned when things are moving at the speed of light now if i run too fast tomorrow morning and if i dream that okay i'm going to run as close to the speed of light what will happen my ligaments will break and we won't be able to talk for the next podcast episode <laughs> right so what is happening is that whatever we are seeing things around the speed whatever the highest speed spacecraft etc they are not up to the frame of reference of the speed of light that means you cannot compare a elephant to a mm. um, um, uh, orange the comparison or the measurement should be in skill so mm. the relativity is only applicable when particles or objects are traveling as close at the speed of light and remember only when they travel at the speed of light you will be able to see time dilation twin paradox your rate is going to slow down these that all those things but these are again theoretical but somehow this has been explained now we uh, sent two uh, you know dogs out in the space and we found mm. time dilation anyway in general uh, relativistic equations are not applicable why because it speaks of extreme condition that when you will move at the speed of light these things are going to happen number one second einstein's field equations also these are applicable to extreme big masses like jupiter or sun or black holes or gravitational waves etc and again quantum mechanics is something which is applicable to a very small realm 
Although the good part is that, uh, don't mind telling me this because I am uh, relativistic by heart and soul, but quantum mechanics is far more applicable to real business considered to that of relativity because we can create teleportation we are trying to create, we are creating cryptocurrency, we are using data security, we are using a lot of quantum tunneling, etc. So quantum mechanics, that is in India, most of the students, they do a research on quantum mechanics, not on astrophysics, because there is a direct application. You can go to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency using quantum So that means, that means we can conclude that ultimately the reality that we see around and the way we behave for a morning, you would be going out for your school or college, you will go to studies, I will go to my college, whatever the realm that we see around right now or in, in the future, are all being guided by Newtonian mechanics. Right, 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 right. And uh, one more thing. Uh, so you're saying in these extreme conditions, you mean uh, I, uh, something has to travel at uh, speeds that are actually uh, present in the reference of the speed of light? To the speed of light. Yeah, in yeah. the reference of, of the speed of light. Or they have to be, like, is there, is there like two, two conditions? Like, either they have to be truly, like, massive, like, in comparison to the sun, like you said, or they have to be traveling no. at uh, high speed. So, I'll see, and no, no, what I'm trying to say is that if you apply the rules or the equations of special theory of relativity, and you want to say that, okay, I apply Lorentz transformation or anything, and I want to see that if I travel at the speed of light, light, my mass is going to contract. It's something like that. Then I have to travel as close as to the speed of light. That means if that object is traveling in that speed, then only the rules or the laws of special relativity or the equations will work. Otherwise, Newtonian mechanics will basically be applicable. Okay. Uh, I've not even fin finished half of the questions that I have. So... <laughs> I would say we will need a second episode to just talk about Einstein's field equations again. Sure, because sure. I, I, I am actually I am actually exhausted. I've never felt exhausted. And seeing your energy for about one one hour and we are above one hour now, right? And you're still explaining with such enthusiasm and like wow. Yeah. Because that is my love for this subject. And remember that we we might need further episodes because you see I I went much more detailed. I studied a lot. I'm generating those videos because what we are trying to do is not possible. We are trying to frame a 10 years history of science into one hour, which is out of question, right? It it would be a great a great title to 10 years 10 years and uh, centuries of work into compressed into one hour of uh, explanations. So that <laughs> would be a great title in its own self. But yeah, uh, we to be honest, I think we would need to uh, skip for now and have a second episode with uh, you, you sir, uh, on Einstein's field equation. We'll have it very soon, probably next week or sometime very soon, I would say. And sure. uh, yep, absolutely. And yeah, yep. Thank you, everyone who stayed till the end. If uh, you are still <laughs> listening, and uh, yes, uh, well, uh, what should I, I hope Th uh, thank you, you for enjoyed. Yeah, I yeah, I hope you yeah, enjoyed it. Like it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, thank I wish everyone. you all the best. I wish you all the best and your the Bimper podcast because you're bringing great people and uh, uh, I, I I I feel good and that is why I told you that I need time to talk because there are so much amount of implications etc. 
uh, I cannot just talk on a superficial basis. This would require time. So thank you for hosting me, Vivyansh. I'm really grateful and thankful. And let us see when we can meet uh, maybe very yeah, soon sure. for the next time. Yeah, sure. I'm pleasure to have you. And uh, uh, yeah, one more thing. If you have uh, got any suggestions for us, any form of feedback that you might want to give on the basis of our conversation. Uh, the feedback, I would say, uh, I would wait for the viewers to comment and let us know that how this episode is going on. Mm -hmm. That is only one thing. I wish all the best to Wimper. And I only want the young generation not to fall in the wrong uh, perception of science and mathematics. Just reading books which doesn't contain equation, it doesn't mean that you understand science, black holes and wormholes. So just to get into the reality, it might be difficult, it might be a little bit boring to understand mathematics, but without that, you won't be able to understand the reality. The biggest fear is that you fall into false notions, which I as a teacher won't uh, want you to do that. Yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, in the description, I'll scan these very little four-page notes that I uh, got and uh, I'll send, also send them to Shonak sir so I'll just uh, uh, make them up in a P PDF file and just uh, link it to my Google Drive and you can have an access to it and uh, have a good, quick read on it this is just really short you can see four pages worth of uh, notes short notes uh, they also have something a little bit on black holes and then no, not black holes wormholes actually so yeah uh, thank you everyone for listening to another episode. We'll surely have to have a part two of it. Uh, this is your host, Devyansh Gunyan. And keep looking up.